Hello and welcome to Polyhedron, your multifaceted podcast for everything RPG related. I am your host, Matthew. And as always, I got my two co's here, Ryan. Praise Kane. And Scott. Praise Corn. Praise Corn. Corn for the Praise. corn flakes. <laughs> Milk for the, the corn throne corn. of cereal. Yeah. <laughs> uh, oh, boy. Uh, episode 100 was fantastic. It was amazing. So many hot uh, takes. So many hot takes. So spicy. So spicy. Um, we had great response from everyone. Thank you very much, audience members. Thank you, everyone who retweeted and everyone who liked the tweet and listened to the episode. We really appreciate it. But now we gotta keep we gotta keep this train moving forward, and that's what we're doing with the hundred and one episode. Always more content. Always good content. Always good. Content. Hashtag GC. Hashtag yeah. GC. We're we're not gonna be doing uh, we're not gonna be doing much news or what what have we been playing we're kind of just going to go right into it right now because we just got done with the interview with matthew dawkins talking about cult of the blood gods but before we get into it scott what is cult of the blood gods oh cult of the blood gods is the latest and greatest new supplement for vampire the masquerade fifth edition uh that details out kindred religion and uh the hakata which you know uh is a new term for an old for an old concept uh, the Giovanni, the Cappadocians, the Harbinger of Skulls, the the, the uh, Samede, uh, apparently even the Nagaraja are in there as well. The Lamia, that, that Lamia, surprised me yeah. too. Oh yeah, well no, well they they go pretty hard on Lilith content, so having the Lamia around is pretty. Yeah. Um. Yeah, that's cool. I, I didn't get to talk to him about Lilith stuff. <laughs> <laughs> no, you didn't. Uh, damn it, Matthew, you kept talking. Oh, <laughs> uh, spoilers. Oh, God. Sorry, I was interviewing people. Yeah, I know. Damn me. But anyways, uh, let's not get into the rambles. Let's listen to it yourself. It's a great interview. We talk about a lot of things, not just about uh, the Cold of Blood Gods, but like his time, his history, and some of the other stuff he's been working on. So please enjoy. Hello, everyone. Welcome to interview with Matthew Dawkins. Uh, my, the usual uh, co-hosts are here, Scott and Ryan. Hey. Hi. But obviously our good guest, the man from the shadows, Matthew Dawkins of Onyx Path fame. Man from the, sh- man from the shadows. Man from the shadows. Yeah. Hello there. Yeah. Good to be here. We are super happy to have you. Um, Matthew is here because he is going to talk to us about the latest Kickstarter from Onyx Path, Cult of the Blood Gods for Vampire 5th Edition. Isn't that right, Matthew? I am, yeah. It's uh, this Kickstarter is going very well. It's been very mm-hmm. exciting, uh, and we're still only in the initial week. Oh yeah, but it's already stormed through a whole bunch of stretch goals and hit its funding within the first hour. So yeah, there's obviously a lot of enthusiasm for this book, which I'm very gratified to see uh, because that has to feel good. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean. It's it's always very rewarding to see fans, customers, players, storytellers engaging with the work so quickly. Mm-hmm, absolutely. And I think it, it speaks to a couple of things. There's a lot of uh, very ardent Vampire the Masquerade fans out there. That's mm. the hardcore. There's <laughs> some people who are still only now getting into Vampire, and so they're just hungry for any new release. And I think there's a lot of uh, people devoted to Onyx Paths Kickstarters as well. There's uh, the company's got a decent track record of high quality books now. So whenever we notify historic backers, there's a new Kickstarter up. Some of them just migrate over to the new one because they they trust us, and that's a nice feeling uh, that people have invested their time and money into what we're doing, even if Vampire may not be their number one game. So yeah. All lovely stuff. 
Oh yeah, it's great. We obviously all of us are are fans. A lot of us have the Kickstarter books right. I have mine right behind me on my bookshelf. Uh, yeah, and so I'm super eager to see what the is going on with V5 and Cult of the Blood Gods. I know Scott, you have been doing a lot of like research and sort of like yeah. keeping yeah. aware of it. Yeah, I I I backed the project uh, when it first started, and I've been eagerly eating up all of the preview information <laughs> that's been going out. Uh, I've been enjoying everything that I've seen. Um, <laughs> I I do find one thing that I find kind of funny and, and mm-hmm. a bit ironic is uh, the fact that we are having this Kickstarter for Cults of the Blood Gods, basically over the winter holidays. <laughs> I, I think that's a that's a little on the nose, and I love it. <laughs> Yeah, well, a lot of people like to draw the Mithras Christmas comparison, and uh, the cult of Mithras does appear in the book in, in lots of loving, bloody detail. So, Indeed. yeah, you can you can celebrate Mithras Mass uh, if, if you so wish <laughs> by backing the cult of the blood gods. Oh, I love it. I've been saying since the beginning, you should come to Vampire the Masquerade for a learning experience. You should learn something when you read the books. And now we're going to teach people about the old ways. <laughs> well, I absolutely did. I mean, I, I, was, I always loved history when I was at school. I studied history at college, but I probably learned more about a broader sense of history rather than drilling down into a focused area by playing video games like Age of Empires and Civilization and by playing role-playing games like Vampire the Dark Ages. Uh, I... Remember, in fact, it was my Vampire the Dark Ages Chronicle that I was running for a very long time that ended up, it it went all the way from the British Isles to Jerusalem. And it was through reading books like Jerusalem by Night that uh, caused me to read more widely about the Crusades to the point that I booked a holiday to Israel specifically so I could go to Jerusalem and I can put that right down on the doorstep of Jerusalem by night. Now, sadly, I didn't get to go. I got my deposit back, luckily, because uh, there were bombs and things like that. They kind of uh, put a bit of a downer on the idea of the holiday, but the tour company was was good and they uh, refunded everyone. But yeah, it's it's interesting what an impact games like Vampire can have on us educationally, let alone for fun. Oh, I I a hundred percent agree because they're because I like Vampire Dark Ages. It's one of my favorite settings for just vampires and werewolves in general. And I love because me and Scott did a Dark Ages uh, LARP vampire LARP for a while, and just the idea of like looking back at the history and doing research and trying to inject a little bit of what likely happened in real world and then like color the world of darkness sort of over it and so sort of feel out how it sort of plays out in the background yeah so um with cults of the blood gods we were definitely sort of treading into ground that was in previous edition almost exclusively in the realm of the sabbat um is that what we can expect sort of those concepts sort of bleeding out and, and, and mixing with the wider sets, uh, wider parts of the setting. Yeah, I would say so. I mean, the idea of multiple faiths existing within kindred society hasn't ever really been explored at all, but the Sabbat probably had it closest with its semi-Catholic structure. And we've we've got shades of that in things like the Church of Cain and the Bahari, of course, because the path of Lilith was present in the Sabbat as well in previous editions. 
but the Church of Cain is quite different to the nodists of the sabbats it's more gnostic than than catholic and it has more in common with the Cainite heresy of vampire the dark ages than the uh than Cain, the, the i guess the deliverer the mm. sabbat on the path of Cain would have been Ooh, that's yeah. that'll be really interesting because i played uh, a hardcore Cainite. Uh, in a sabbat game for a long time and i'm eager to read that then because i want to see how that changes there's definitely some crossover it makes me very excited for when there is a sabbat book because i anticipate that there will be a conflict between members of the uh, new church of cain and any cainites uh, of or nodists in the sabbat in the modern nights because mm-hmm. certain rituals or rite have been appropriated by one or the other or stolen by one or the other <laughs> uh, or you've got heresies you've got uh, former nodists becoming gnostics and probably the other way around but it's it's a good point because one of the questions i'm seeing quite a lot of is is cults of the blood gods the book that is going to reintroduce parts of enlightenment parts mm. of enlightenment being a very popular concept in previous editions of vampire but almost specifically for the sabbat now it isn't that book, <laughs> at least not in the same structure. But what Cults of the Blood Gods is very good at doing is showing how you can use the Chronicle Tenets, but specifically the convictions system of V5 to make your own path of enlightenment. Uh, hmm. Essentially, you're, you can have three of those principles from Path of Enlightenment. So, you know, you usually have one through to ten uh, corresponding to humanity. And you can have the three key ones as essentially your character's three convictions, as long as you have three touchstones to go along with it. And some people are saying, well, if I was in the Sabbat or if I was on the path of Typhon or the path of Paradox or something like that, I wouldn't have human touchstones. But again, Cults of the Blood Gods is about cults. You Mm. are almost guaranteed to have a herd retainers allies contacts farm your touchstones from there and make them tie to your convictions especially if you're running a cult you've got cultists use them (laughs) use your use your high priest use your initiate use your (laughs) right master those are your touchstones and just like that you can have convictions that are tied to a religion and you've got touchstones that are tied to the religion as well you don't have to be humane in v5 although it certainly helps Mm -hmm. uh, because convictions and chronicle tenets allow you to play the game however you really want to Mm -hmm. i imagine lore sheets might come in handy as a sort of a final overlay to all of that if you wanted to do like a custom lore sheet or something that because they do have minor mechanical benefits that they if, if someone's really aching for like I have a button I can push that does something special. That would be a way to go about it, overlaid on on top of your convictions and all of that. Oh, definitely. Uh, I, and I'm a big fan of law sheets. I would say that I wrote them for the <laughs> for the V5 core. Well, I think every book, uh, almost <laughs> every book that's, that's come out for V5. It, and it, it wasn't an invention of Vampire the Masquerade, the law sheet. It was... Oh, yeah. we. Um, 
more of a weapons of the gods right. and mm-hmm. yeah. and i think it was even in a book before that from from what i remember but uh i think that's definitely where when ken height suggested it's the v5 team that we have law sheets he pulled them from weapons of the gods yeah absolutely uh, genius stuff i love it yeah, it really works for vampire metaplot yeah, it does. I remember when we were looking at the book and we were doing the interviews and looking at lore sheets going, oh, this is just plug and play your personal plot. Like, here, do you what's your character kind of about? It doesn't really have to do with backgrounds or anything like that in the old system. It's just here's some metaphysical or even social mechanics that you can stack onto your character so that you can tell a more unique story, which makes you feel more special. Yeah, and I, I would hazard a guess that a good 50%, maybe more, uh, of the playing groups right now don't use lore sheets because they're not interested in meta plots. They are happy to build vampires from the ground up who stand completely distinct from anything that's gone before. And that is absolutely fine. You could argue that's the way to play. <laughs> but on the other hand, I'm a big meta plot fan, as anyone who's read oh, yeah. Jihad Diary knows. <laughs> Yeah, oh, yeah, and so if I was to play, I would almost definitely want to tie my character into something uh, meta plot related, and so I would look through the various lore sheets and just find one that's interesting to me. I've already got like two or three in my head that I was like, "Oh, I'll do this one and this one." If I ever get a chance to actually sit down and play a long form game of Empire, mm-hmm. that'd be super rad because I like the idea that it's also social and political. Like you can have political factions be a lore sheet, not just metaphysical things or plot related things like that yeah so speaking of uh, of you playing uh matthew uh, i've been i've been following uh what you've been doing with red moon role playing pretty closely and i have to say those that's some engaging stuff oh thank you very Uh, much and i didn't pick a law sheet for for dolph my character in uh the sacrifice really you didn't think it no i don't think so that's Um, interesting oh dolph you uh you got me on the edge of my seat with uh with that that recent episode with uh dolph and alan i gotta tell you (laughs) Oh, so you're going to have to tell me which episode has just come oh, out. It's, uh, you, you just brought Alan into your apartment. Oh, yeah. Uh, so for anyone, uh, it's the old thing. Let me tell you about my character. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Go for it. So uh, anyone unfamiliar with Red Moon role playing, and I don't think it's too out of turn to get talk positively yeah. about another Go podcast ahead. absolutely uh, absolutely not. They, they're a fantastic crew of actual players who do some very fine editing on their shows they add music they add sound effects they chop it up to make it more of an audio drama than a uh, let's watch this group of friends play a game around a table and different people like different things some people really like the authentic experience some people prefer the more dramatic revenue role playing is more dramatic and we're going through the a uh, story from the back of Chicago by Night, The Sacrifice, which uh, was a book I developed, and so I've done a little bit of writing on the Chronicle myself, but it was primarily written by uh, Clara Herbel, who is running The Sacrifice Room. And so I've had a chance to actually play it, and I'm playing this member of the ministry by the name of Dolph Shung, who is a male model, and definitely has... Uh, some patrick bateman to him that's the comparison i think most people are drawing Uh, and that wasn't by design i very much decided i would just see where he went and uh, i the real the real kicker to him 
and I enjoy playing characters like this, is he is determined to stay as removed from kindred society as possible. He doesn't care. He doesn't want to get involved in politics. He doesn't care who the prince is or what the traditions are. He wants to continue living his mortal life, and so he still has a mortal girlfriend. He still has a mortal job. He just does night shoots now instead of daytime ones. And... He still goes through a beauty regimen. He still exercises whenever he wakes up, despite the fact it has no effect on his body because he is so attached to his mortal side. And he isn't some sort of vainglorious fop like a Toreador might sometimes be. He is just a very self-assured, somewhat sociopathic individual. As the game has gone on, his... Grip on reality has become increasingly (laughs) tenuous. And yeah, uh, that was the result of putting like one dot in resolve and one dot in composure and everything (laughs) else (laughs) in in every other stat. So he's very witty. He can cut someone down with his words, but as soon as someone gets the better of him, he just explodes. Yeah, so, social glass cannon. Yeah, he's a um, ministry member sort of crossed with a torrid or crossed with a bruja uh, in in terms of stereotypes. Uh, mm-hmm. But I'm, I'm very much enjoying playing him. He's now committed Diablery twice. Wow. I think Ooh. he's com- committed Diablery. No, he's committed Diablery once at time of publication, and he's immolated a vampire with a Molotov cocktail. Well, he's does not give a fuck then you just no, stay yeah, you know if you're in the sacrifice <laughs> like towards towards certain parts in the sacrifice eh, eh, you gotta do what you yeah, gotta but, do. The, but the bizarre thing is i have never in my history of playing vampire the masquerade never ever had a character commit diablery before it's taken until playing a game of v5 to commit diablery and in a camarilla city <laughs> on on genghis a bruja from from the old school from the original chicago by night i drained his soul and it was good and it was delicious oh, diablery yeah. is a hell of a drug yeah, uh, also your um uh, the the family the one that just started uh, publication that the first episode got me like i'm in I am absolutely loving that's the one you're running, I think, yeah? Yeah, so that's the it's not the story from Cults of the Blood Gods. Uh, we've actually got a different chronicle in there. But the family is a story based on Cults of the Blood Gods where the four protagonists, the players being uh, Clara Herbal, uh, Craig Austin of Redmoon Roleplaying, Bianca Savazzi, who is a uh, content designer and scripter for Paradox Interactive and also a writer for Onyx Path Publishing, and Jason Carl, who, of course, everybody knows <laughs> from his work at Paradox and LA by Night. And they are each playing a member of the Hecata. We have a Giovanni who has been adopted by a Cappadocian. We have a Melina, we have a Putanesca, and we have a Lamia. Ooh. And they will be the typical dysfunctional family that one would expect from the Clan of Death. And backers of the Cults of the Blood Gods Kickstarter will become more familiar with this as more and more of the manuscript is released. But yeah, they will be, as in the sort of style of Ocean's Eleven or Hogan's Heroes, a, an unlikely group of heroes will be thrown together to, uh, to solve a problem. But it has already veered into the incre- extremely dark 
territory. And that may <laughs> may be a bit of a redundant statement if anyone listening to this has listened to my actual play of Cult Divinity Lost that I ran for Red Moon Roleplaying. You'll know that that's my sort of normal territory. But yeah, the first episode has already involved a a dose of sort of sexual harassment, some drug use and abuse, a rather unpleasant. I'm very good at playing toxic males. I I hope that it's not a reflection on who I am. I don't mm, think it is. No. But uh, the yeah, there was an embrace from a very unpleasant individual and future episodes we're going to have all kinds of horrible content but i say that i say that in part as advertisement you know if this is the thing you like excellent you're really going to enjoy the family by redmond roleplaying however if you don't like things like drug abuse uh, incest um well, explicit gore, suicide, and all kinds of other material like that, then for some people, that's a billboard that invites you in. To others, that's a warning sign and tells you to stay away, and I think that's absolutely fine. Not every game is for everyone, which is uh, why we put these warnings up in the first place. Yep. Absolutely. I mean, so I will definitely have a link to all of that in the show notes for anyone who is interested in the Red Moon role-playing stuff. I've listened to a lot of their stuff. Um, I listened to their playthrough of Avernus and I uh, believe uh, their Downfall of London or one of their first V5 well, No Man's ones. an Island, yeah. Yeah, No Man's an Island. I listened mm. to all that. It's excellent quality. Like, if you love audio drama type stuff, you will absolutely adore this type of stuff. And in all in the content and in the world of darkness, the stuff that you really like, you'll get a kick out of it, I promise. But let's take it back to the actual book of Call of the Blood Gods because there's a lot to unpack in it. Um, oh, yes. What, like, so we know V5 is a game that's like sort of like reintroducing itself to the world as well as sort of, but as also reinventing itself for a modern audience um, and structured a very particular way. Um, for Call of the Blood Gods, we're like when you guys were coming up with v5 if you know this like where did you have the idea of we need to like put all of these clans and these specific bloodlines in the specific content in one book like how did you come to that, that decision well so going all the way back to working for white wolf on the v5 core it was a discussion quite early on and this discussion then went on and on and on across a series of months with things being cut, things being added, of which clans would appear in the core book, which would appear in Camarilla, which would appear in Anarch. And at the time, those were the only books that were really specced out because at the time, uh, Onyx Path, well, I, I'll get on to Chicago by night in a minute, but anyway, we decided as a team that the focus of V5 would be the roots of vampires. So going back to humanity, going back to street level, going back to the struggle, and making the Anarchs and free-thinking kindred a more appealing option. So we looked at the clans like the Setites, as they were, the Asamites, as they were, uh, Giovanni, as they were, the Zimishi, and so on, and we realized that much like in Vampire the Masquerade Revised Edition, if you take that one, that was my first edition, all of the clans are presented, but there are very few tools in that core book to actually encourage you to play the Independence and the Sabbat. 
clans because the book is set up around playing a camera at a game. Mm-hmm. Now, we didn't want to dilute it. We wanted V5 core to be a core experience. So we put the Camarilla clans and the core Anarch clans in the core book along with the Caitiff and the Thin Bloods because they're more prominent in these knights than they ever have been before. So that's a, that was a dash of new. Now, because Anarch and Camarilla were being released simultaneously, we put the Ministry, formerly the Setites, in the Anarch book because that was appropriate context for them. They had just joined the Anarchs and the Banu Hakim formerly the Asamites in the Camarilla book, because they had just joined the Camarilla. And our idea, and I stand by it, I still think it it makes sense to a new player to not be uh, drowning in options, especially if those options have no context, Mm. is that when new clans are introduced, they are introduced with the appropriate context to make them make sense in your stories and to make them make sense within the meta to plot two just dumping the ravnos in a book and saying hey here are these illusory vampires no i suppose they're not illusory illusion casting vampires uh they're fake vampires they don't really exist yeah well pretty (laughs) much these nights uh if you see a ravnos it's probably a mirage um (laughs) the the idea was for instance with the la sombra in chicago by night they were being introduced there. That was at my prompting. <laughs> that was my decision because I wanted Chicago to be the first city where the La Sombra made their pitch or some of the La Sombra made their pitch to join the Camarilla. And I made the exact same argument for the Hecata appearing in Cults of the Blood Gods. I thought, well, we've already had the ministry in the Anarch book and we're having the Church of Set in Cults of the Blood Gods. But in a way, the Hecata, the Giovanni, the Cappadocians, are just another cult. They are, in fact, next to the Ventru, probably, the biggest ancestor cult in Vampire the Masquerade. Uh, They have very strong Roman roots in that regard. Uh, And you can, of course, see it very clearly with the family setup of the Giovanni. So taking the mafia side away and taking even the incestuous necrophiliac side away, what they are is a very large, very dysfunctional, but also incredibly powerful family unit. And so I thought Cults of the Blood Gods is the best place to put the big death cults. Some of them are eschatological. They literally want the end of the world to come. Others are fervent scholars of death and all of its processes. So the, I guess, justification, the theory behind it is to only provide playable options when there's a good reason for them being there. Okay. That's very cool. Now I'm looking forward to this book because like, obviously the cornerstone of vampire at its root is very religious because it's got a heavy Judeo-Christian vibe with the book of Cain and where Cain comes from and the entire relationship with his divine family as it will. And so, and then obviously later we talk about Cappadocius and I remember I have the dark ages Cappadocius book. I read it and it was very interesting. And like this guy who wants to, he's obsessed with what the afterlife is and what he can become it. And then even his crazy attempt to diabolize God and all of this other stuff. So this religion, this religious theme is very appropriate to vampires. So cold of blood gods, I think will 
really hit, like scratch that itch for people in the modern V5 games because you did say it was very um, street level and very sort of like day to day survival, and this religion deals with more larger issues. Yeah, I I look at D and D as a good benchmark. I mean, I guess anyone making RPGs should. It's the most popular game, and I. I've I've said it in a couple of interviews, but it's worth repeating that one of the best RPG source books that's ever been released is a book called Faiths and Avatars, mm-hmm. second edition AD and D, and it was Forgotten Realms book has probably somewhere like fifty faiths in it. Uh, it has every greater intermediate and lesser deity in the Forgotten Realms for the humans anyway. Uh, it describes the god, their history, their relationships with other gods, their uh, church, so what their followers are like, what their daily practices are, and how their avatars appear, how they speak to them, what their prayers are, all kinds of excellent things for every single religion. And I love it. I think that book is one of the best written, most deep and interesting books with so much story potential. Oh, absolutely. Uh, Well, I wanted a book like that for Vampire the Masquerade for so long. And I've felt like one of the things that's been lacking is, well, it's a question that an awful lot of aspiring storytellers ask. It's, what do I do? I love this idea of Vampire the Masquerade. But what, how can I make these players, or the, their characters rather, stick together and move as one? Because vampires often portrayed as a very selfish game. Vampires are humans. They are not a party of adventurers that go from town A to dungeon B to all get rich together. You will have a Camarilla character, an Anarch character, someone who wants to be prince or someone who wants to take down the prince and all kinds of things. So what brings them together? To my mind, faith or faiths are a very good answer to that. Because when you're dead, well, a lot of the material concerns of the world are going to start slipping away. Yes, you've still got to get get blood. Yes, you've still got to avoid the sun. And yes, you've still got to earn money somehow because eventually a landlord is going to notice when you stop paying rent. (laughs) You can only dominate him so much. But when you have eternity ahead of you theoretically it makes a great deal of sense to start looking toward the spiritual Mm -hmm. start thinking what comes next is there a higher purpose a greater purpose i can serve to give my unlife meaning and i think religions in all of their varieties make an awful lot of sense for for vampire well, also ties pretty deeply into the the control over the beast, the the staving off of the the inevitable slide into inhumanity. You can you can hitch your wagon to a religion to try and and stave that off as well. Yeah, absolutely. It's something we've uh, the Church of Set as of time of recording. The Church of Set initial preview was sent out today, and it speaks about how the Setites are strong proponents of freedom, of liberty, of the idea that you should not be shackled to a prince, to traditions, to tangible laws. The idea of it is foolish. 
but they acknowledge that that kind of thing does help a vampire keep the beast on a rein. So what they do is they try and divest people of their responsibilities, of all their material worth, of all their baggage, essentially. And they admit that probably about 75% of the people they help along this path are going to become whites. Hmm. They, will, they will fall to the beast because they're not worthy of pulling themselves up and making themselves better but the people that do make it the vampires that are able to lose everything and come out stronger well they are truly set's children they are real followers of set they're the ones who are destined to rule and there's something quite well it's horrible obviously because they don't give a shit about the ones who fail Mm-hmm. but for the ones who succeed, they are honoured disciples. They are given all of the world's bounties. And that kind of reward, it isn't too foreign to what a lot of uh, religions, especially sort of micro-religions that exist today, offer their followers. I mean, cult is just an unpleasant word for a religion. Mm-hmm. Uh, even Christianity was a was referred to as a cult when it first started um that actually uh, uh goes into something because i've been i've a culture are a hobby of mine uh <laughs> like I, I like i listen to all sorts of podcasts and, and youtube ch- channels about them um and i'm wondering how much how much research into like real world cults went into this book like have you did you ever run across like the bite model or something about that for the way of classifying cults yeah, we've uh, we did a lot of research into it. Uh, myself and the other writers, we had plenty of meetings where we discussed these things. And one of the writers, I won't name them because they haven't told me that they can. Uh, their parents were actually in a cult, and so that lent some real world uh, <laughs> authenticity bad. to what they wrote. Uh, so we have a chapter in the book. It's one we've not really spoken about much yet about cult construction where we do talk about how cults form in real life, the kinds of things your vampires are going to have to do to garner a loyal following, or the things that they will find themselves subject to if they're joining a cult, the kind of trials and tests of, again, loyalty and earnestness, the things you're prepared to give up for the cult. Uh, So, I mean, one of the most famous or infamous cults of living memory is Heaven's Gate. And uh, obviously suicide cults often uh, become infamous for good reason, and they don't start out as suicide cults. Um, One could even argue they're not suicide cults, they're cults that were murdered by the cult leader. But Heaven's Gate is a very peculiar one, mostly these days for the reason that their website is still up. (laughs) It's one of those weird avenues of the internet that you can still find Heaven's Gate's GeoCities-esque website with, I think, Halley's Comet or whichever uh, galactic event they were waiting for, whooshing across the top. And I think it's maintained by two relatives or two members of the cult who were set aside and told, you know, if if things don't work, if we don't ascend, you just need to keep spreading our message. <laughs> so, yeah, someone's still paying for that domain. But what that means is we have what is basically a living document or very close to living document that you can access online and read about how a cult practices, how it speaks to its own followers and how it tries to draw people in. And that doesn't even include other cultish 
uh, aspects of Christianity and other faiths that are running and very popular today. Yeah, I think I think one of the ones that has intrigued me most uh, that I that I saw in the previews were the Ash Finders. Uh, just oh, because yeah. of the the social media, like because the social media and like online cults, these are things that are happening, and that was very interesting that you chose to go there with those guys. Yeah, they they are a new invention for V five. They're a thin blood cult. Ostensibly, they are just a thin blood cult uh, that is interested in sampling the ashes of dead vampires. But at the same time, they're a social media cult, as you say. They are very popular among influencers, and they are being led by a rogue Tremere, of course, who is just seeing the entire thing as a great, big, fun experiment in thin blood alchemy, or to his mind, an odd form of blood sorcery. Um, so, yeah, that's that's a nice one that I think a lot of people are going to find a use for in their game, even if it's just as a pest. Where <laughs> oh, I, I, yeah. like to, I like to think that Vampire the Masquerade Bloodlines, of course, everyone's played Bloodlines at this oh, point yeah. or has watched playthrough of Bloodlines, uh, has some brilliant little features that never really got uh, any coverage in Vampire the Masquerade books, like uh, Bishop Vic's cult i think that's is it called the ninth circle or something mm-hmm. like that and uh, and you've got the i i think that's all attached to the blood disease or that's going on in uh, in downtown la and um there's all these lovely little storylines that for whatever reason never got written up for any books but can really be expanded and should be expanded so things like bishop vick's cult you could easily see something like that appear in cults of the blood gods to the point that i think i used one of the characters from bishop vick's cult as a talking head in this book or maybe one of the chicago by night stretch goals Mm -hmm. do uh do we see any any traces of the bali anywhere in all this well, I can tell you that uh, the the Bali by name don't appear, and the reason right now, from a design perspective, is the the Bali don't really fit in to again that street level of horror. They're a little too end of the world, uh, e to really fit in. At a, as soon as you start in, invoking the barley and invoking uh, bodies infested with maggots and flies and people who want to summon Moloch to devour the earth, you start losing sight of what it is to have to manage your touchstones <laughs> <laughs> and, and keep to your convictions. And that's not to say they're a bad thing. I've used the barley a lot, especially in Dark Ages games. But I don't believe they're on the immediate horizon for V5. That doesn't mean they won't appear. I'm sure they will in some form. But they don't appear in Cults of the Blood Gods. Hmm. Uh, now, will they appear in a stretch goal for Cults of the Blood Gods? That really depends on how many stretch goals we unlock. So you know, if you're listening to this... Yeah. <laughs> so folks, you know what you have to do. You have to give them money. Indeed. Yeah, specifically $666. <laughs> 
<laughs> Noted. Six. <laughs> that would be one hell of a pledge level. Uh, <laughs> you should do it. Do it now. If you'll all excuse me, I have to go to Kickstarter. Uh, <laughs> if we get 666 backers of the $666 play, pledge level, then the Bali go in the book. <laughs> yeah, we have uh, to end on 666. As we're already well above that, we're going to have to cull backers. Uh, yeah. Oh, no. Everyone, no. Yeah, you guys are doing gangbusters on there as like, I think as of this recording, you need 30,000. You've got like 87,000 right now. So obviously lots of stretch goals, lots of interest. So super exciting about all of that. I'm, I'm, I'm eager to that. I'm going to back it. I haven't backed it yet just because I've been dealing with the Christmas time of mm. getting presents. But regardless, I definitely want to back it because I think obviously religions deal heavily with a lot of meta plot and v5 is street level and so any little crumb of like the bigger picture is always going to intrigue me well no i'm 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 glad you're you're interested and honestly i'm grateful uh this book was a bit of an experiment and as i say vampire the masquerade hasn't had a book like this before it had State of Grace, which largely just covered Golconda. It had the Canite Heresy for Dark Ages. But it hasn't ever had a book that holistically covers religion or religions. And Cults of the Blood Gods does that. So I didn't know how popular it would be when I pitched it and outlined it and ended up going on to develop it. But it has turned out that a lot of people are very hungry for this kind of material. So I'm very pleased. Are you expecting anyone to be particularly grumpy with you about the content of this book? Yeah, I'm always <laughs> expecting that. Uh, not just from vampire fans. Any game that I work on that has an established fan base, and I guess vampire is going to be the worst offender for this because while I've worked on a lot of games, Call of Cthulhu doesn't seem to have that kind of uh, <laughs> fan base problem. Uh, there's... And so the vampire's issue for me as a creator comes, uh, I guess, twofold. One, it has a great established history. And two, a lot of fans want that history to end up turning out a certain way in the future. And so we saw it with V5 coming out, just like you saw it with D&D 5th Edition coming mm -hmm. out, when there's a, a move forward in a timeline or when a, when a character class changes or a clan changes, and we have to retroactively say, well, this is what happened in the interim to justify it. Some people are going to say, yeah, that's really exciting. I really want to play a Tremere now because I've got more options. Other people are going to say how dare you break the Tremere up? The best thing about the Tremere was that they were a solidified pyramid that no one could access. Where are all my different parts of thematic? <laughs> These are, this uh, isn't my Tremere, as, yeah, as a word. Exactly. And I completely understand that because I remember going back to the Forgotten Realms, in fact, I was a massive player of 3rd edition and 3.5 D&D. And... And I have a lot of second edition Forgotten Realms books as well. But I thought third edition Forgotten Realms was really well written. I really enjoyed it. And then fourth ed came out, uh, had the spell plague, and an awful lot of people did not like that. I did not like that. It, <laughs> I wouldn't go so far as to say it as ruined the Forgotten Realms for me, but it wasn't my Forgotten Realms anymore. Mm -hmm. I, I like the addition of Abier, but yes, the... Hmm. 
there was some wo- stuff that made me say woof too <laughs> yeah <laughs> just, uh, they, uh, and i like fourth edition just a bit mechanically i like more edition but what, no, what they I did do. But, yeah with, with but what what they did with forgotten realms proper it was like what are you guys doing what what are you doing here? I flipped the table real hard on real hard on a really established setting, which I don't feel that anything that's happened in Vampire could even come like, in my opinion, like breaking up the pyramid, whatever. Fuck Karna, okay, sure, <laughs> <laughs> but nothing on the echelon that they did for that. So oh, yeah, no. Even that. Well, you say that some people feel that way about the Sabbat. The fact that the Sabbat are no longer a, I guess, prime mover and shaker in North America, which is where most people set their games, has really turned the game on its head for them. If, if all they ever played was Sabbat, the Sabbat are no longer a feasible option, at least not right now, for V5 because we haven't got to the Sabbat yet. And that is upsetting to some people and completely understandable that it is. Uh, just like I used to run a lot of games in Fey in, <laughs> in D&D. And come 4th edition, Fey is an undead wasteland. Hmm. Yeah. And that, yeah. that didn't do it for me. <laughs> so, it got better. Uh, it got better in 5th edition. Yeah, but I'm still missing my Zolkias. Yeah, I know. <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, yeah. It's always a problem when you have literally a cult following uh, for RPG lines, as it were. <laughs> yeah, I was, I've been cooking on that one for a few minutes. <laughs> he gets his one. <laughs> Had to get that out. Yeah, and it's it's hard. You got to pl- try. You're trying to please people who were there at the beginning, but you're also trying to reintroduce and sort of bring everything up to date and I can definitely understand and sympathize with that challenge. And I, so far, I think you guys have been doing a great job. What, Ryan? Oh, well. It's like, it's like writing for star Wars. You're never going to win. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think, I guess that's at the pinnacle of fandoms where a single line that you could add to a movie will ostracize a certain segment of the fan base. <laughs> uh, so yeah, vampire is small potatoes compared to that. Yeah, but we definitely see it in, in day in day out. Um, what are other things? Actually, a couple of other questions I'd like to ask um, about the book is: um, What do you think is with the most interesting, like new thing that you've introduced? You've already talked about the ash, um, ash the, finders, ash finders. But what uh, what else? What is something one really new thing that would that could interest people? Hmm. Probably, probably the Hecata as a concept. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know it, that may sound like the obvious one, but the Giovanni. So I, I, I would say the Giovanni for a very long time were my favorite clan for Masquerade. And the Cappadocians were for Dark Ages. And that's probably because the two tied to each other and the Cappadocians had such a meta plot uh, heft in Dark Ages. You were playing a doomed clan that automatically has appeal. Now, in V5, we've introduced a few new metaplot beats to justify why the Hecata have formed. And I use this word a lot. Not everyone's going to know what the Hecata are. And this is the Clan of Death. This is the Giovanni, the Cappadocians, the Harbingers of Skulls, the Samdi, the Lamia, even the Nagaraja on the fringe. You have every single necromantic clan or bloodline under one banner is that a sect is it a cult is it a clan the point is 
they are all different faces of the clan of death. And because of various events in the metaplots for V5, uh, there is a damn good reason that they might need to team up, not least of which is it was all right being independent when there were lots of independent clans. <laughs> uh, but when the Setites have suddenly gone ministry and turned to the Anarchs and the Asamites have gone Banu Hakim and turned to the Camrilla, and the Ravnos are a cinder at this point, you are um, you're kind of on your own, in the breeze. And when, uh, I'll, in fact, do a big metaplot drop at this point, the promise of 1528, here we go, getting very metaplot heavy. Oh, boy. Which is the Giovanni agreement with the Camarilla that they would stay neutral from the jihad uh, for well for all time ostensibly, and the camera would not interfere with Giovanni doings, and the Giovanni would not interfere with theirs, and that oddly extended to the Anarchs and the Sabbat as well. Never ascertained why, but for whatever reason, the Sabbat never war with the Giovanni, and the Giovanni never war with them. Now, that promise has a time limit. And that time limit is 500 years. And that 500-year period, of course, comes to an end in 2028, which, as we know from our mere human perspectives, is um, is a long way off. But to a vampire, that's not long at all. It's under a decade, which is a, a mere blink, a forced blink of an eye for a vampire. So all of a sudden, the Giovanni, the Cappadocians, but mostly the Giovanni, are aware that their neutrality, their protected status, will be going away. And the Camarilla are very conscious of the breaches to the masquerade now. And the Sabbats are very, very hungry. And the Anarchs are freely taking territory and making a pretty good job of it. So the Giovanni can't really rely on just standing on the side and being safe from everything else that's going on anymore they've got to find allies and uh, there comes a point where you where a young giovanni is going to say why have i been told all my life to hate great 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 uncle erebus uh the the cappadocian i don't know him I, i don't know why we're supposed to hate these guys what i do know is my elders the anziani keep commanding me to do these awful bloody things that I don't understand and all I get for it is more shit on my plate. So yeah, uh, there's a lot of reasons for the Hecate to join up. It's not just the end of the promise but uh, that's certainly a big part of it. Yeah, I remember reading what I was reading. I'd shoot through Beckett's Jihad Diary in like a couple of weeks, like three weeks ago. So I, <laughs> I distinctly remember there were big telltale signs of the things that are coming about now, like the formation of the death sect was actually mentioned, you know, and I believe in the war across Dixie or one of the ones that dealt with the voodoo cults and uh, mm. definitely the Giovanni discussing, you know, not necessarily taking part in the Jihad, but like having strong financial pulls on people who do. So you might as well be, you know, in it anyway. Yeah. Yeah. They, that I re- I wrote the Giovanni focused chapters of Beckett's Jihad. I probably wrote about half of that book. I I co-developed it. 
mm-hmm. and I I wrote the Giovanni Chronicles five chapter, the Many Faces of Death chapter, and a bunch of others. But I did that because the Clan of Death has, in a weird way, always been my sort of purview ever since I started <laughs> writing tabletop RPGs or specifically vampire. I have always ended up getting the task of writing about the Giovanni or the Cappadocians or the Harbingers of Skulls. And uh, that's been across things like Law of the Bloodlines, uh, the Dark Ages, the uh, source books as well, all the way to ending up developing Wraith the Oblivion uh, or Book of Oblivion and writing on Wraith the Oblivion 20th anniversary. So, yeah, uh, I seem to have this tie to necromancy. I just can't shake. Nope. So I haven't seen it uh, explicitly mentioned, but can I, can we assume that the uh, the beckoning is affecting all the Giovanni and Cappadocian elders uh, as same across the board? Ooh, um, should oh I, boy, that's a juicy I, one. Yeah, that is a juicy one, isn't it? I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm going to say something in a premiere kind of a fashion. Oh boy, no, the beckoning oh. is not affecting the Hecata. Really? Uh, I, I think I get why, or at least how they got around it. That's some interesting ideas. Well, presumably, we haven't heard anything about good old Augustus. No, you haven't. Yeah, so I'm curious to find out about that. Um, yeah. is, do, do oh. we get any, any hit, you, tidbits of that in the previews? Yes, you do. Oh, boy. <laughs> I can't wait. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, that is that makes the Hecata unique among the clans, uh, at least among the clans that have been revealed so far. They are the only clan that has not been affected by the beckoning. That doesn't mean they are announcing it from the rooftops. <laughs> right now, they want to keep as low a profile as possible. And so they're making the Camarilla think they were hit incredibly hard by the Second Inquisition, that they've been hit incredibly hard by the beckoning. That's why they've all retreated to their mausolea and so on. No, they're just consolidating their power they are not affected in the same way as some of the other clans or most of the other clans. And uh, yeah, that they could potentially use that to their advantage in the future. That is underhanded and sneaky and what we should have expected all along. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah I always liked the Giov- the Giovanni. And when you were talking about like why the Hecata like is formed because everyone's taking a side and they in if no one's on your side you've got to find a way to make your own side and that yeah. sounds like what they're doing and then with gathering up the, all of their unique undeath knowledge because the giovanni and the Cappadocians have always played like had a special part to play in like we understand how we're put together because we study our condition and the condition of death very intimately versus a lot of what a lot of other sex and clans do so we have sort of supremacy over that like yeah. we know how to manipulate it to a degree that gives us a distinct advantage uh over other people essentially yes uh, and there's the, the, i think the both clans giovanni and cappadocian had a certain issue in previous editions in how to play them uh, to go back to that question, because the Cappadocians were almost always seen as these scholarly monks that were just focusing on death, just focusing on death. And the Giovanni were almost always being played as the cast of Goodfellas. Yeah. <laughs> and that's fun, but 
I think, yeah, there's so much you can do with this big dysfunctional family of all the different bloodlines of death and their common cause and the kinds of people they would embrace now to shore up their weaknesses. Uh, they are ultimately a pragmatic clan. Uh, I wouldn't say they're particularly hopeful toward anything. So the kinds of people they embrace are going to be down and dirty and not nice to know. Mm -hmm. So I think uh, as the actual player I'm doing Rev and role-playing shows, you can play some pretty unpleasant chronicles and still cleave to the ideas of V5 if you're role-playing them to the Hecata. Mm. Do, do they all share like the same clan bane now or because they the, those those various factions have all been sort of distinct mechanically uh, in the past so are they sort of brought under the same tree mechanically now uh, they all share the same clan bane as a default which is the painful bite or the oh. kiss of lamia mm. if you like however the bloodlines each have a law sheet they're not strictly law sheets they're bloodline backgrounds Ooh. And so that allows you to delineate the type of Hecate you're playing. Now, and that means you can start taking on different, uh, like, corpse like uh, appearance and so on, yep. uh, as you'd be, as would be familiar from Samdi or the Cappadocians. Mm -hmm. Now, I could well see that mechanic functioning for other clans later on. If you want to start introducing bloodlines like the Kia Seed or, uh, like, I don't know. Um, no, I'm going to stick to the Kier Seed because I have problems with most bloodlines in the game. <laughs> uh, then, yeah, sure, make a blood, make a bloodline background for them and whack it on your La Sombra, and you can start playing as one. That's actually, very cool and exciting. Uh, actually, speaking of La Sombra, I know we, they've their uptenebration became Oblivion. Oblivion. Mm. So, um, and I, I'm to understand that it now Oblivion deals with not just shadows, but also death and necromancy. I assume that the the, the Hecata in general are all going to have Oblivion, but they're going to have powers that can be chosen that are more um, undeath and necromancy based. Yeah. Uh, so, in theory, a La Sombra or a Hecata could have the could have interchangeable powers. They share the same discipline, though I abide by the idea that's presented in V five and I run in most of my games, which is if you want to if you want to learn an odd power, you've got to find a teacher. Mm -hmm. Now, the most I guess where it gets specific is the powers that are introduced for the La Sombra in Chicago by Night are very La Sombra focused. There's one or two that uh, could be used for the Hecata comfortably. The powers for the Hecata, and so by that I mean the one dot in discipline, two dot in discipline, uh, in Cults of Blood Gods are pretty weak, and that's by design because Oblivion ceremonies, which are the equivalent of blood sorcery rituals, can only be opened up if you have a prerequisite discipline. So this is where the Oblivion discipline differs. So the Hecata could take the arms of Araman if they want, but they're not going to unlock any oblivion ceremonies, so your old necromancy rituals, uh, and which means they are going to be a less well-functioning Hecata than one who takes a weaker power, which is thematically appropriate, but not necessarily functional, except in very situational 
situations. Uh, but by taking that weaker power, you have then unlocked the tree that gets you into a certain oblivion ceremony. So what I'm doing with the discipline of oblivion and what we'll see with the other disciplines in V5 is this versatility that you can use your powers in different ways to unlock different powers, to essentially tell a different story through your character, through the course of powers you take. And I've always found that more interesting than just 1.2.3.4. Ah, yeah, absolutely. Um, uh, the V5 edition of like m many different powers from many, at many different levels has really opened the, the scheme of like what kind of character and vampire are you and how do you operate on a night-to-night -night basis which i i i like and it allows for lots more customization which customization for your character is always in uh enjoyable in my opinion i com completely agree it's something the video games have done for years and years and i remember back when i first played warhammer fantasy roleplay and you could choose a character class like dung uh what was it Dung Carter or something yeah. like that, yeah. uh, which was all the way down at the bottom. But it would unlock a, a tree uh, that could lead to things like necromancer because yeah. you are the kinds of per kind of person that deals with shit and yeah, it, dead it, people. It was a career-based system where one career could lead you into like three or four different careers, yeah. and then those careers could lead you into other careers. So you could have this really weird, just winding road of, this is how I become an ultra badass. Mm-hmm. The greatest fantasy was upward mobility the whole time, everyone. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I can actually see that that system of, of oblivion and how it's set up. Uh, if you ever wanted to introduce something uh, like the old abyss mysticism from Dark yeah. Ages, yeah, please yeah, do exactly that because uh, I know Matt, Matthew, uh, our Matthew played uh, an abyss mystic a while back, and yeah. Oh boy, that's some fun stuff. Yeah, that... I hope your Matthew used the abyss mysticism from V twenty Dark Ages Tome of Secrets. I can't. It, it wasn't out then. It was. It wasn't out then. This yeah, was decades ago. This well, one... I, I wrote that abyss mysticism, so get him to read that. Yeah, I will. I will look into that because I I just like the idea of like, yeah, this is a weird like place that's weirdly connected to the vampire uh, werewolves, but it's also something that you're connected to. And this is, it's this weird real, uh, like reality, like it's the Cthulhu esque because it's the space between the stars type of stuff mm -hmm. going on. And I'm like, that's completely right up my alley. That's stuff I really enjoy. And that leads me into another tangent. Um, I am super, I, I'm, I'm loving everything that I'm seeing from, uh, they came from beneath the sea. Uh, but I believe I've heard you mention like they came from beyond the stars is might be something in the future. That's super intrigued the shit out of me. So yeah. So anyone not familiar, they came from beneath the sea as a B movie, sci-fi 1950s romp for want of a better elevator pitch. Uh, it's a game that's, played for fun but it has been a hell of a lot of fun to make and it really ticks a lot of boxes for me whenever i run at conventions people are constantly laughing around the table and whenever i see other people running it as well uh, it's a game that doesn't take itself too seriously but it can be run seriously it has everything from the red scare to the green scare because it's 1950s and it's not just communists but alien communists oh crab, no the worst. Yeah, crab yeah crab folk not only wearing your husband's face and walking sideways but also being a fully functioning uh very functional in fact high 
productivity worker who wants to unionize, collectivize, <laughs> and uh, make sure all the other crabs are doing the same thing. But yeah, I, um, so they came from beneath the sea primarily is based on 1950s B movies because I'm a big fan of cinema. I know that's a very broad thing to say, but, uh, I've, I have always loved watching movies and analyzing them to death. And when I grew up, uh, my uncle had this vast collection of really crap films from the 1950s and uh, that were outrageously camp, of course, but mostly followed the same kind of strain where you had a scientist, where you had a strong-jawed hero, where you often had a damsel in distress, which was a bit unfortunate, but some of them were quite progressive. And you had an alien menace that was a bad metaphor for nuclear war. And I just thought, well, why aren't there any role-playing games like this? And They Came From Beneath the Sea is that role-playing game. Now, They Came From Beyond the Stars is something that I was bouncing around the idea of doing back when I ran They Came From Beneath the Sea for Red Moon role-playing, actually. Mm -hmm. There's a nice bit of circular logic. And um, that was a Lovecraftian style uh version of beneath the sea where uh, it shares many of the same same powers like cinematics which are meta powers that your players can use to things like uh, you can suddenly make the set become a cheap set so you can just run through the wall to avoid the lobster <laughs> man you can insert a missing reel so if you're about to be devoured by the hundred tentacle octopus centipus you can just say scene missing and then all the characters appear somewhere else. You're never, you're never actually allowed to describe what happened in the time in between. Now, in Beneath the Sea, you do that for comedy effect. In Beyond the Stars, you do it to demonstrate to the players, the players, not the characters, are the great old ones. They are Niall Athotep and Haster and all the rest. And they're manipulating these chosen cultists, whether they know they're cultists or not, by altering time and space as the game goes on. So they're becoming more and more aware of it, getting more and more mad. Now, will I actually make They Came From Beyond the Stars? Not right now. And main reason being because Onyx Path, uh, the company who I have released They Came From Beneath the Sea through, are doing Masks of the Mythos, which is a yeah. Scion HP yep. Lovecraft. We, we're very excited for that around here. Me too. I'm not writing on this one, so I love a game that I haven't worked on at all <laughs> because it's a nice surprise. But I think it would be a bit too heavy to do two Lovecraft games at once. That doesn't mean I'm not doing another They Came From game, but we, uh, yeah, we'll have to see. No, 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 absolutely. Best of luck to you on that. That sounds super rad. Just the idea of like how to emulate Lovecraftian horror in that B style, because they both have very pulp elements to them. Oh yeah. Uh, and that's what really like their connective tissue is between, uh, between like the old B films and like chthonic sort of traditional chthonic stories, like, because they're written around the thirties and forties. Yeah. That yeah. That touches on one of like my favorite things ever that like happens every now and then in a role playing game when you can have your character like look over their shoulder and see the like the 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 shattered reflection of you <laughs> like that I love I love that stuff so much that sort of meta level and having that sort of implemented directly is kind of cool. <laughs> yeah, uh, well, so the Redmond role playing guys when I was running beneath the sea for them we decided we'd play it 
with a more horrific bent because <laughs> their show tends to be more horrific than comedic. And so if you want a good example of how they came from beneath the sea can very easily be tweaked to become a horror game, then I recommend listening to their actual play. Uh, and that book won't be on, is on backer kit to pre-order right now, but it probably won't be for long because I have done the second proof now of the book, so it won't be long before they came from beneath the sea is released, which is very exciting. very cool, very cool. We'll let everyone know when it is officially released so they can go out and grab it. Yeah, thank you. All right, um, we need, we're actually running a little on time, so before we get out of here, Matthew, um, one last thing. Um, if one thing, what's one thing we haven't asked about or talked about concerning the Cult of the Blood Gods book that you would like to convey to the audience? Hmm. Something. So here's a really simplistic thing. It goes back to my love of D and D, my love of Michael Moorcock, my love of uh, very the very simple trope of law versus chaos, and. I think that the Church of Set is the ultimate chaos cult. It is a it, they want the hierarchy to collapse, and not in the same way the Anarchs do. They want the hierarchy to collapse because they genuinely feel every single person would be far better off without it, even if there's nothing in its place. Because personal enlightenment is uh, more important than collective enlightenment. Mm. Yeah, the, that's where the Anarchs would differ now, or a lot of Anarchs anyway, so in a way they're kind of God, uh, this would put some people off playing the church set. they're libertarians who want to tear down the establishment and then say, well you're on your own now, pull, pull yourself up by your bootstraps and let's see how you do um, so it's more rapture um, <laughs> Bioshock-esque than uh, I guess Ayn Rand but you, on the other side, you have the Mithraists, who I see as the ultimate cult of law in Vampire the Masquerade. And I, I love that through developing cults of the blood gods, these two cults that have always existed in Vampire, uh, the Church of Mithras, or Mithras has always existed, of course, and his, I introduced this cult in V20 Dark Ages Companion, and since then, it's just appeared and appeared and appeared, probably because I keep developing these books. <laughs> <laughs> and what the Church of Mithras or Cult of Mithras is, is a very hierarchical, uh, very ordered, very much about well, military or militant uh, attitude, paying upwards to get rewards from master. And the rewards can be great. Now and uh, the the status you get from it can be great. A Mithraist may put you in as prince of the city because you are a Mithraist. It's mm -hmm. that kind. It's almost Freemason like, and so I like the idea of a domain. We've always had the Sabat warring with the Camera, the Camera warring with the Anarchs. The Anarchs just scrabbling around <laughs> trying to find a, 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 a juicy vein, and and not much else. But now, not only do you have the sects, you also have these religions. Mm -hmm. 
they add a completely new level to the diplomatic side of Vampire the Masquerade. You can have a church of Mithras and a church of Set in the same domain, and that means you can have Camarilla members of both, you could have Anarch members of both, and they will be aligned sometimes, and they'll be at war at other times because they have opposing faiths, which I think is is really interesting for Vampire the Masquerade. We just haven't had that before. There's, a, again, a level of D&D to it, but there's a level of reality to it. You can have oh, yeah. a member of the Republican Party who is a Muslim, you can have a member of the Republican Party who is a Christian, and another who is Jewish, and they all get along because they're Republicans, but they don't necessarily see eye to eye on a religious level. And so, yeah, you can do the exact same thing in Vampire. There's a bit of a requiem in that as well, with the covenants. Oh, yeah. definitely. Yeah, and that's something I am very keen to uh, take inspiration from, because I think Requiem, especially second edition, is a fantastic game. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I'm more than happy to to have the connection made. All right. Thank you very much, uh, Matthew. We appreciate that you came on to our little show and told us all about Call of the Blood Gods and your own personal experiences. If people like your work, what's some other work that they could go like check out and research? Also, uh, where can they find you on the internet if they want to contact you? Well, the good thing is they can find everything I've worked on on MatthewDawkins.com. I pretty routinely update my credits list on there. However, I will confess, sadly, there's not much you can buy that will get me royalties. So (laughs) if you uh, want to support me at all, I have a Patreon, which is linked on MatthewDawkins.com. You can also buy me a cup of tea. (laughs) alternatively if you want to buy books that i worked on if you like the sound of the things i do do check out the credits list the vast majority of it is available on drivethroughrpg.com and yeah um, leave a review of anything you 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 buy Uh, we freelancers we kind of live live and die by reviews it's uh it's nice it's not nice it depends really but uh, we really don't state enough how much we depend on people reviewing our work because it can be the deciding factor behind someone buying it or not. No, absolutely. All right. Well, again, thank you very much for being on and we look forward to all the new products coming in the future. Thank you very much. No problem. That was good. That was very good. That was a fantastic interview. Thank you, Mr. Mr. Dawkins, for uh, joining us with that. Yeah, that was great. Yeah, we can't say Matthew. I kept going, Matthew. Yeah, no. like, oh, yes, what? Oh, you're talking to him, the guy no, you actually want to talk to. No, I'm talking to the guy who is higher status in that, in that <laughs> contest. Yeah, yeah that was uh, great. Um, yeah, sorry we didn't talk about Lilith stuff, but... Yeah, no, but I, I, they have released the Lilith uh, preview already, and I have devoured it, and it's pretty freaking cool. So I'm very happy with the Lilith oh, content. I'm, in the book. I'm excited. I'm interested to see what they do. I'm I actually really, I definitely want to get it now because I want to read about the Mithras stuff. Oh yeah, like the Mithras yeah. cult. I'm like, oh, having a cam member who's also a member of the like the cult of Mithras. And yeah, like, is the Camarilla not fascist enough for yeah, you? Yeah, just, <laughs> I need ultra fascism. Or like, you're an anarch who's also in the cult. Let, let me add that. a layer of more rules onto my <laughs> yeah. rules. More rules, more hierarchy, uh, more bootlicking. Uh, just you know. they also hate cell phones. Like, uh, that's there's also the Sedites led the libertarian Sedites, and it's like, oh, oh yeah. ye. well, it actually 
made it like him him going through that and like describing like sort of the updated version of the cult of set makes total sense why they're in the anarchs now oh yeah because that's that is an anarch position through and through uh but that's super cool and I am super eager to see stuff that may be coming down the pipe yes. uh, that we didn't get into in the interview, but it sounds fantastic. Yeah, we had a brief discussion off mic about like what's that, what's even further down the road, and all of it was very exciting to hear. Yep. Oh, yeah. Super secret, but very fun. Um, I did actually get and talk to him about my main question, which is like the art. Like we we're going to continue seeing like the altered photos art style. Because- well, the art that they've been releasing for Call of the Blood Gods is really evocative. And yes, really it's cool extremely. Looking. Um, which is good because it needs to be because it's dealing with some pretty weird, heavy stuff. Yeah, the art in Chicago, like the art in Chicago by night um, is pretty good, too. Um, I know, Ryan, you've you've gotten a look at that book. Would you agree with me on that? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't usually look at the art, but I actually like the uh, I like. I like the stuff for V5 just because it's very interesting looking. Like, yeah, it's, it's it's very different. It's very yeah. new and it's very modern. Stream, modern. Extremely different, extremely modern. Um, but I, I see in some of the photos, they're sort of like, we've altered this photo to like almost to the point of it looking like a drawing, like a digital mm-hmm. drawing. I, I think that's we, the new I think that's the new style. I think that's right. what V5 down, down the line is just going to be doing, which I, I personally like. Yeah, it's it's great. It'll be yeah. interesting to see if they if they keep that going with like werewolf yeah that will be weird i want to see that because werewolf is definitely known for its more traditional like cartoon comic book style well that, i mean so go with me on a mind mind journey here for a second mind journey okay sweet take the black spiral dancer from the night in question photograph that and then alter it to make it look even more weird and I'd, and i'd and be down that like works that's that's an interesting thing like you do that with with all sorts of werewolf bullshit oh yeah we know no we, we're not really in the news we're in the uh, uh later part of the show but oh, yeah. matthew webb is doing a lot of a lot of stuff oh, yeah. now yeah well the, the the tickets for the night and not the tickets but the the date for the night in question has been released yep. yes and, and uh, we know when the tickets will be going on sale and absolutely. we have uh, we have plans Mm-hmm. Yeah, and he's doing Mage Ascension right now. He's, about he, to... yeah, he's working on Mage Ascension, the, the, the boutique uh, Mage Noir. Mage Noir. And he's Thank apparently you. running a, an, a thing at South by Southwest. Which yes. is nuts. Yeah. But we'll probably talk a lot more about that in the next episode. Oh, uh, just a heads up, just to give everyone. Um, the next couple episodes will probably not be traditional episodes because we're taking a little bit of a break um, because of the holiday times. But you will enjoy the content that we bring to you because we have a very special actual play absolutely oh man this was so much fun yeah i loved you, it we, we did 10 candles and it's it's christmas themed it's amazing yep it's so good uh, we hey. only we not only recorded the audio but we actually recorded the video as well uh the video will be available on the simulacra uh patreon yes yes yes, uh, yes. so pay a buck and you'll get access to the video you'll get to see the screen get darker and darker and darker with these flashes of of candlelight that is actually okay. I, will, I didn't play in this. I was I was handling the tech side of it. Whenever something got burned, it was actually very striking. It was beautiful mm-hmm. to watch. It was very uh, striking in the, the room. Was staring at it mm-hmm. and uh, something important. And I will say, boy oh boy, did that not go very well for any of us? Oh no! Well, it's <laughs> ten candles. It's the way it's supposed to go. Oh yeah. well, I mean, 
But really, though. <laughs> that, was, that wasn't the roughest because we kind of got the... Anyways, listen to it. You'll listen understand. By the end of it, you'll understand. Listen to our holiday Christmas time joy. Yeah, um, Christmas joy. Yeah. But so, from Tidings everyone... comfort and joy. Give love. Give love, give. <laughs> Sorry. Give love. Sorry, man. Give love, give. <laughs> I give had love. to get it in for the year, it's okay? okay? I was trying to do the outro, and then you just, you just <laughs> torpedoed me. Yeah. So... Everyone have a good holiday season. We'll talk to you everyone later. So from everyone here at Polyhedron, go where your fun is. Go roll some dice. Jingle jingle. Hello, everyone. Just wanted to let you all know, if you want to email us, you can at polyhedronpodcast at gmail.com. And if you want to get in contact with us via Twitter, you can contact us at polyhedroncast. And if you want to contact me, I am at bioimportance. If you want to get in contact with me directly, I'm at divismallcav. And I'm a hermit, so just email the show, please. Also, in addition, if you really like the show and you want to support us, go to patreon.com slash polyhedron, give us a buck a month, you get a lot more content, and it'll really help us out. All right, thanks for listening. Thanks, everyone.